basically what my work here is to do is to guide you on your journey of healing, guide you in alignment and authenticity and in finding your joy. And I do that in a variety of ways. Everything from this podcast to this Facebook group, if you're joining me here, through my spiritual readings and my life coaching services. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. But first thing first, let me tell you where you can find me. I am here on Facebook, um, facebook.com slash Hey, Mrs. McDaniel. And if you don't know anything about me, you should know that I'm a huge Beyonce fan. So I will manage to find a way to work her in every conversation. And even my social media um, handle is a um, is in homage to her. So that's Hey with three Y's, Mrs. McDaniel. You can also find me on Instagram, also at Hey, Mrs. McDaniel. Um, you can email me at info at aliamcdaniel.com. And I'll drop all of that in the comments later. And then also in the show notes. Oh, and of course, duh, you can find me on my website. That's the easiest way to get connected to all of my platforms, newsletter, all of those good things. And my email, I'm sorry, my website is www.aliamcdaniel.com. So you see how I kept that really simple for y'all? First, before I get into, you know, the, the point of the show, I want to tell you guys why I'm doing this live. You know, I have tried, and I, post, I wrote about this the other day on Facebook, I have tried so many times and in so many ways to conform to the way that other entrepreneurs show up. I try to do things the right thing, the right way. Believe it or not, as rebellious as I am, I'm very much a rule follower. And so following guidelines and strategies and the things that all these other people are doing is, is what I've been trying for so long. But... Time and time, life has shown me that doing things my way is the most authentic way and that actually catapults me further along on my journey. So one of the, the challenges that I've had with podcasting is that I feel like I'm talking to myself. And when I feel like I'm talking to myself, then I end up sounding really formulaic, really robotic, like I'm reading from a script and it just doesn't feel good. So I thought about what makes me feel good and what do I like to do? And as introverted as I am, I love connecting with people on a deeper level. And so I've loved doing my live videos. I love connecting with people um, in small, intimate groups in, in person. And I found that my most um, effective content and the most the content that people really rallied around were my live videos. So I said, hey, I'm going to do this in a way that makes sense to me. Since I'm already often taking the content, I'm sorry, taking the audio from my live videos, I'm just going to film my podcast live and see how this goes. So what y'all have to do here in the comments is you have to let me know if this is resonating for you, if this platform is resonating for you. Hey, hey, I see more folks joining me. I see my 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 fave, Ifashala. I see Tiffany. I see some other folks. Thank you guys for those hearts and for letting me know that you guys are rocking with me. So if you've never joined me on a live, a couple of things that you should know about me, besides the fact that I cuss and the fact that I love Beyonce, is that we keep it authentic and all the way real. So yes, I put on a little bit of a light, light, light face beat for y'all. I mean, super light brows, lashes, lipstick, slight foundation, but you will not often see me all dressed up. In fact, I'm dressed in a way so that I can go hit that Peloton bike after this. I got on my Ivy Park uh, leggings. I'm comfortable so that not only can I um, feel good when I talk to y'all, but also so I can jump into the next parts of my day. And then I'm just super fortunate to be able to work from home from my nine to five. So this is how I dress when I'm not out on in the field on the site. So I'm bringing my authentic self. I hope you bring your authentic self. So let's kick this off to my first. Oh, I skipped over. See, I have a little bit of an outline. So before we jump into my first segment, which is Q&A, let me tell you guys how you can support me and what kind of support I would really appreciate from you. So um, if you don't have any money, that's fine. I'm not going to talk about money first. Listen to what I got to say. Then go grab your drink of water and some pen and some paper. We're going to get it going. But the first way that you can support me is often is always just subscribing to my content. So you can find this podcast so Soul, Purpose, Sisterhood on all the platform streaming um, 
podcast streaming platforms. So I'm on um, Apple Podcasts, iTunes. I'm on Spotify. I'm on my website, all of those ways. So if you can subscribe and share, that shows me that you're listening. It shows me that the content is landing. That's giving me, you know, that that social credibility. So I appreciate y'all if you go ahead and follow me there, subscribe to me there, and leave a review. It could be short and sweet. It could be a long paragraph. I take it all. You can also support me, of course, monetarily. I appreciate not only receiving funds that I'm able to use for my own wellness and my own care, that's the primary way, but also as I grow my platform and pay for you know, hosting services and things like that, you can do that right now easily through Cash App, Queen B, ACM. See what I did there? I dropped it in the comments as well. You can also on my website find the tip jar, the collection plate. You can drop some coins there if you like. And then thirdly, you can just support me by following me on social media. Those are the ways you can support me right now. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so housekeeping's out the way. You know who I am. You know what I do. You know where I do it. And you know how I appreciate coins. Let's get into the first segment of the podcast, which is Q&A. So usually during this per- this portion of my podcast, I take listener questions and I respond to them live if it's something that I think they can be helpful for others. And then usually during the sec- this segment, I also shout out people that have been following me. So I want to talk instead of a listener question or email that I received, I've been getting a lot of inbox messages and there's a current, there's a, um, a theme that keeps showing up. Um, a few days ago, I posted on Facebook around um, the times that we're in and that, that revelation and that, I don't like to use a real download. That's kind of, um, overplayed, overused, whatever you want to call it. But the message from my spirit team to me was that this was a time to get ready. And I shared about how, you know, we see these COVID numbers soaring. We see hospitalization soaring. We see it um, soaring in people that are children that are our most fragile and vulnerable communities. And we also see that our politicians often, especially if you're here in the South, are not working in a way that seems congruent with the fact that we are still in um, a pandemic, but policies seem to be different. So I said, y'all need to get ready. So the big question that I kept getting in my inbox, on my phone, in calls, and everywhere is, Aaliyah, what are we supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to be doing? And I want to be clear with you that I am not a fortune teller. What that means is that I'm not here to tell you um, what's going to happen in three months and three years and whatever for a couple of reasons. One, I have different kinds of visions and prophecy that come to me and it looks a particular way. This one was not it. So I want to be clear about that. Also, the second reason why I say I'm not a fortune teller, uh, a side tr- um A carnival sideshow is that we all have the power to change the outcome of our lives depending on how we respond to the opportunities that present to us, how we respond to the messages that come to us, and how we respond to our own ori. If you are not familiar with the term, um, I'm not going to get into a whole long dissertation. You got to go to my Hulu history class for that. Plug. But the simplest way to describe what the ori is is that each of us have our own spiritual guide that is personalized to you it is your it is your third eye as some call it it is your personal orisha as some call it it's your personal spirit team it's the extension of you it's your higher self it's all of those things and way more than i can encapsulate in 30 seconds but the point is is that all of us have intuition and gut that's coming from our re that's guiding our lives and so the way that you listen and align to that is often going to change and shift your outcomes of your life so i can't tell you what's definitively going to happen for you what i can say is that this is the the journey or the path that we're on right now so this is what i would caution you or heed you or um, remind you or affirm for you what you can be doing on this road to optimize your outcome so with all of that being said, and you know, in case y'all didn't know, I have a whole background in education. I've been doing this for, goodness, 23 years in education. So I'm always going to be trying to teach something, drop some knowledge. That's why I always say make sure you have some pen and paper out when you listen to these podcasts or videos so you can jot down your notes. Um, and I didn't grab my water and I don't have my child at home to go get it. Oh, well, that's fine. So what's coming to me during this time is that it's going to be really imperative that we learn how to take care of ourselves and our communities. 
because we're not going to be able to wait for another government um, bailout. It'll be nice if it comes and it might come, but what's not going to happen is that this country is not going to shut down again like we saw last summer. Um, the, why the country's not going to shut down? Lots of reasons. But one, it was too much of an economic hardship for people that are really wealthy. So as long as people who are vulnerable, people who are poor, people who don't have access to vaccines, or people who um, choose not to have vaccines are not being vaccinated and don't have the ability to social distance and don't have the ability to, um, to min minimize their exposure to others, they're going to constantly be vulnerable to death and at risk of death, right? And but there's still more people who are part of the labor pool. And so there's not going to be any any reason for the government to want to shut down. So it's going to be imperative that we learn how to take care of ourselves. And that's everything from how are you treating your body? That's been a big big message for me. How are you taking care of your body? How are you eating? What's your nutritional life like? Um, how are you building up your immune system through exercise and fresh air and water? Those are going to be really important things. How are you taking your vitamins? Which vitamins are you taking? Are you taking things that are going to optimize your immune system? Um, are you taking care of your emotional wellness? Those are the, that's, so that's like a big, big thing that keeps coming up for me is that wellness is super key for you. Of course, we can't prevent everything, but wellness is going to help you to not only be adaptable to the situation that's at hand, but it's also going to hopefully mitigate for those people that unfortunately do contract the virus, mitigate um, how much it wreaks havoc on your body. Now, I want to be clear, this virus is not something that's only for people that are sick. I've been seeing people die who are healthy, who have never had pre any pre-existing um, conditions, who outrun a marathons one day, and then two weeks later, they're being intubated. So I want to be clear that I'm not saying that if you are healthy, you can beat this. What I am saying is that if you are healthy, then you have a better chance of being able to deal with the side effects of it. Also, if you are healthy, you're able to be in a position to care for your family and care for your community because that's super, super important. The other thing that's coming up for me is that um, while I'm not saying go out and hoard and start buying, you know, 50 million things of toilet paper and 50 million things of rice and it is important for you to start building up your resources again. Everything from... Um, and not just groceries, my spirit just reminded me of this. I'm not talking about just groceries and things that you can purchase in the in the store or in a big box store, but also how are you building up your reserve and your resources from things that are that are natural and are from the land? What do you have growing in your garden? If you don't have access to land like that, what kind of herbs do you have growing in containers in your kitchen? If you don't even have that, how are you building relationships with people so that you can barter? Um, last time, last year during the pandemic, when there was all this this craze around toilet paper, I went out and got a bidet because I figured if I don't have anything else, I got water to clean my ass and that's that's good enough and actually way more hygienic in my opinion. So how are we being able to create the resources and things that we need and how are we bartering with people um, or being in a position to barter with people that may have access to the things we need? And then the last part that's coming up for me is um, around community. We are not meant to be in this world alone. We're not meant to be in this world alone. We are not meant to be in this world alone. And so it's important for us to build community in every kind of way that we can think of. Just like how you're joining me here on social media, and that is a community, and it is a, um, an important community for many people that may not have physical contact with other people or who may not want to have physical contact. But building community where we check in on each other, where we caring for one each other, where we're saying, I got you and you got me, is going to be super, super important now and then, and then also in the future. Um, so... We each have talents and, and things that we can rely on each other for and that we can pour into each other. And it's important for us to do that. So that's my um, response to folks that have been asking me, so what do I need to do to get ready? What do I need to do to get ready? Um, and hopefully that's helpful for you. And Tiffany says in the comments, it's the exercise, accountability, wellness, and discipline for me. Listen, I saw somewhere on somebody's Facebook post, a meme somewhere, when they said, it's not about motivation, it's about discipline. And the difference is that 
it's easy to do things when you're motivated, right? When we feel motivated, we can go out and conquer the world and we start these harebrained schemes and we start all of these wonderful things when we're feeling motivated. But what happens when the motivation goes away? That's when the discipline kicks in. That's when the remembering your why and being accountable to yourself accountable to yourself, accountable to your RE, accountable to your spiritual team, to keep going even when you don't feel like it. And trust me, I have so, so, so many days like that. I've been posting around how 90% of the time, 95% of the time, I do not want to work out. I hate working out. I did not grow up an athlete. It jumped over me and my family. All my siblings are like just great athletes. I, I'm not about that life. But I've been working out pretty consistently because I know that my body needs it. And I'm a woman of a certain age, and it's not as easy to bounce back from illness and from um, my diet as I have been in the past. And I'm seeing the, the ramifications of it's harder to do it. And so while it's hard right now, I know that I still am so very fortunate and disciplined where I am I'm not disciplined, fortunate and privileged where I'm still able to to start some new habits right now and be disciplined to keeping up with those habits um, so that I can make progress and maintain my wealth. Now, I want to be clear. It's not a matter of, oh, I just decided I'm going to be disciplined. So that's what I'm going to do. That's bullshit. If we all just knew if that's all it took for us to be disciplined, we would be disciplined about 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 a lot of things. But what I did was I did some um, some self analysis and reflection and did a whole SWOT analysis on myself and used that to identify what I needed in order to be disciplined, what tools and what resources and what connections I needed in order to be disciplined. And then I literally put my plan into action that way. So. That's what I've done, and this is what I do for people, too, my whole life coaching um, business. So that's my plug right there, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the end. But um, it's not as easy as just deciding that you're going to be disciplined. There is a process to figuring out um, a, a blueprint and a way that makes sense for you. So um, thank y'all for that. We're going to hop into the meat and potatoes and why you are here. So a few months ago... I released podcast episode eight, I think it was, that was about my religious journey. And that religious journey was actually, again, um, the audio from a live video that I had done around my religious journey up until about, I think, 2017-ish. And I walked y'all through all of the details from how I was raised, how my church was different than traditional traditional um, Pentecostal or Baptist churches. I talked around um, why ritual was so important to me. Um, I talked around how I left Christianity and what I was doing. And so I talked through all of that different things. So I'm not going to rehash my whole like, you know, transcript of my religious experience. But I wanted to zone zero in on um, hoodoo today and how I ended up in hoodoo. So from that, that journey, how did that lead me to hoodoo? And the short answer is that it's always been there even when it wasn't, even when I didn't have a name for it, even when I felt afraid of the word witch. Hoodoo is who I've always been. And so it's very much been a return to, to my cultural tradition and my cultural past and my ancestral tradition um, more so than me doing something new or different. And I'm sharing this with you all because I know that my journey is not unique. I know that there are many of you that have had some similarities, maybe not exactly um, similar, but there might be some parallels on your own journey. And so I'm, used, I'm offering this as an opportunity for you to examine your own experiences and, then, and think about how you can use your own past, your own experiences as um, a blueprint for how you can continue going. One of the things I would say that has been a fallacy of Christianity is this idea that we need this external guru that's going to teach us the ways of God and that we cannot have um, a mastery of our relationship with God without this external 
person telling you exactly what you need to do. This external person is giving you a prescription of how you're supposed to live, how you're supposed to walk, what your faith is supposed to be, and what your practice is supposed to be. And because of that, even for those of us that are no longer Christian, we still have that, that sense of what we know is not enough and who we are is not enough. And we're looking for the guru, the teacher, the master, the priest, the um, babalao, the, the um, iya, whoever it is to teach us the ways because what we have can't be enough or isn't enough or is incomplete in some kind of way. But what this journey has taught me was that I've been hoodoo all along and my people both living and no longer living in this realm have been teaching me all along and I've been initiated in many different levels of this without having the words for it often to know what it was. And so because of that, I have grown in a level of confidence in my journey and in my, um, in my knowledge as well so that I can show up for you and say confidently, this is who I am and this is what it looks like for me and hopefully inspire you to do the same thing for your journey because I know, like I know, like I know that you are so much more powerful, knowledgeable, and capable than you give yourself credit. So I'm going to frame this instead of doing this in a very linear way. I want to talk through um, some themes that I shared in my last video and then also some themes that have showed up in my life that have shown me how I was hoodoo all along and didn't even know it and didn't start calling myself that until about two years ago. And that wasn't a lag on your screen. I'm saying that slowly because time has been so distorted throughout this whole um, COVID time that I'm often, I'm like, what year is it now? What year was it then? I don't quite remember, but I want to say it was around 2019. So one thing that was like a huge wink in my life was that I've always had an attraction to mystical women and mystical people through media, actually. So my, I was that weird kid, and I say weird in a in a loving way, but also like in a, why didn't any adult pull me to the side and be like, girl, what is going on? Because I was different in a lot of ways that um, I'm sure old folks talked about and they nurtured it, but they didn't call it that. So for example, when I was 10 years old, my favorite movie was The Color Purple. Think, let that sink, sink in. 10 years old, I have not... Um, even started my menstrual cycle yet, but I was very attracted to the movie The Color Purple. Not only because I used to say that it was the ultimate love movie, love story, and love story not in a romantic sense, but this idea of what happens when someone receives love and has love, and what happens when someone doesn't. But the other nuances of the movie that really attracted to me was a lot of the hoodoo that was in the movie. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I want you to do some research and look on your own. But the, the, but the fact that Celie was able to call into existence exactly what she wanted and what she needed, even when she didn't realize it. The whole, till you do right by me. Also the juke joints. We're going to talk about that in my hoodoo history class. But that was a huge um, influence on my life. The other thing around that time, so around 12 years old, one of my favorite books was Mama Day by Gloria Naylor. Now, most people know Gloria Naylor as the author of The Women of Brewster's Place that the uh, miniseries was adapted from. And I want to say that came out around the time I was 10 years old, but around... Um, Around 12, 13, around that time, I read the book Mama Day, which tells a parallel story of one of the characters that's a spinoff of the Women of Brewster's Place. You got to watch the, you got to read the whole book. So you got Women of Brewster's Place, Linden Hills, Bailey's Cafe, and Mama Day. And Mama Day is the story of a woman named Ophelia and um, who lives in New York. And she is married to this man, and I cannot remember his name, but she goes back home to the, to the um, sea islands every summer to see her aunts that raised her. And hoodoo is a main theme of it and how it's used both um, to hex people, how it was used for protection, how it was used for community. And I loved that book. I mean, I used to read it frontwards and forward, backwards. I still read it every two years about because it's such a pivotal um, book in my, in, my, in my life. And then that brings to another book that was going on around the same time. I used to, in case y'all haven't figured out, I love reading, um, was Beloved. <sighs> Beloved, 
at when I was 14 was the hardest book I've ever read. And it was the hardest book I've ever read. And it reminded me of Faulkner, the way that Toni Morrissey can write an entire chapter about being by the side of the riverbank and what the butterflies did. But most importantly, what I loved about Beloved was the fact that magic was normal. Magic was real. It wasn't written as this thing that was separate from, from the mundane, but it was very much intertwined and it was very much informed both the living and the non-living and there were no questions around does magic exist. And that's very much what it means in hoodoo, right? We don't have the separation of you have the magical world and then you have the mundane or practical world, but that there is this intersection between all and that there are some of us that can see beyond the veil. And there are times when the beyond the veil comes forward and that there are ways that people and communities, especially communities of women, come together to um, elevate that practice and come together to keep the practice alive and to use the practice in healing and in practical ways. And so, so mama, I'm sorry, beloved was super important to me. And then the final thing that was like, and I hope y'all are writing these down because if you have not read these books, you need to get your life, get your life. And if nothing else, go find it on Audible. Half these books are on, I'm not gonna tell you where you can get it for free because I support, I believe in supporting black folks. But come on now, if you if you really are in some dire straits and you can't afford to get those books or find those books, you need to go ahead and get them because they are such life-giving. And the movies only give you like 10% of the magic and the joy that are in it. But the final film that was super important to my development and recognizing now, I'm like, oh my God, I've been like super attracted to hoodoo even before I knew it was Daughters of the Dust. Again, another film, this one is set in the early 1900s about um, a family, the Pazant family, and them making the decision to go to the mainland because they're, again, in the, in the Sea Islands, in the um, Carolina Islands, or do they stay in the past? And there's um, direct reference to hoodoo, and it's a major theme in the movie as well. One of my favorite movies. I just did a whole film showing at my home two weeks ago. We had a whole discussion. Shout out to everybody that was at the Daughters of the Dust viewing. But those were instrumental pieces of, of media for me that, that was showing me the way even when I didn't have the language. So that's like the first part. That's the first thing for me. That there's always been hints and winks all along. Anybody watch or read any of those books? Anybody write those books down? All right, so that brings me to, and I, you guys see me looking to the side because I have my notes down here on the side. So that brings me to the next way that I've been hoodoo all along, even before I knew there was a word for it. Y'all, I, I, I didn't know it. I didn't have a, a language for it, but I've been having visions and prophetic dreams since I was a very, 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 very small child. I remember... Um, being in the second grade um, and I remember because I remember my teacher I remember where I was sitting and I've shared this story before but I um, we used to have show and tell and I went to a Catholic school and this one particular boy his name was Paul I still remember like the level the, even the fact that I remember these details is astonishing to me and I remember I will never forget the day that Paul came in and he was doing he was sharing for his show and tell his rabbit. And I can't remember if it was a stuffed rabbit or it was a ceramic rabbit, but whatever it was, he was getting ready to tell the class to it. And I got annoyed and I was like, you've already done this before. Now, let me just picture this for y'all, make a visual for y'all. Picture it. It is around 1984, 85. And I'm a very short little black girl, the only black kid in my class, one of like three or four black kids in the entire school. And I, and I don't fit the mold for all kinds of reasons. And so they used to have me seated like in the very back of the class. So this was, you know, 80s classrooms where you had the linoleum in the front and the carpet area in the back. And my desk used to be like literally in the back on the carpet. So Paul is getting is getting up there doing his um, his show and tell, and I'm annoyed, and I'm raising my hand. I'm like, he's already gone before. He's already done this before. And they're like, no, he didn't. I'm like, yes, he did. This is the story he told. He said this is why he had the rabbit, and this is how he had it, and da 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 da. And everybody's just staring at me, and they're all swearing up and down that Paul has never gone before, and they're looking at me like, how do you know all of that? And 
it freaked me out because I thought maybe I'm crazy. How did I know that? I literally had no idea how I knew that. And I had just convinced myself that they were all just lying to me to make me feel crazy or bad or weird or ostracized. But now I realize what happened was that I, I, I just saw it and I just knew it. I had the gift to be able to read situations and to also see things before they happen. Um, we call it that deja vu. And I had the experience that I would often, and still to this day, dream about things and then they would come to fruition almost in verbatim about the way that I dreamt them. And for a long time, I thought that maybe I was just experiencing deja vu or maybe there was just something that was familiar, but it was still kind of in my head that this really hadn't happened. So what I started to do was I would journal my dreams so that when it happens, I can have definitive proof for myself that yes, I know I've dreamt this before. I know I've seen this before. But now I'm able to tell when I'm um, dreaming and I can control my dreams, this lucid dreaming, I'm able to tell in my dream and also when I wake up whether that was a prophetic dream, meaning I'm dreamt about something that's going to happen, or I'm also able to say was that dream um, useful for a different kind of reason. Not 100% of the dreams I can do that, but that is just something that I do. Um, I also started having visions when I was young as well too. Um, the first vision that I was very clear about was when my grandmother was about to die. Long story short, um, she had been re in remission for cancer and she had just gotten sick with the cold and I was home temporarily from college and I went to visit her because I had a red eye out to go back to New York. Um, and when I saw her, I saw her whole death. I saw the whole timeline of her death. And this was Thanksgiving vacation, and I saw, and it was revealed to me that she was going to die before Christmas. And I broke down because I wasn't expecting that. It was almost as if this just this vision just just physically entered my body, and I can see the whole thing in just a split second. But it was like a movie on fast forward, and my family was looking at me crazy because I was crying hysterically. They're like, "She just has a cold. Like, what are you talking about?" Um, and my aunt looked at me in my face and she saw, she saw something in there. And what she told me was to keep that to myself. And I don't think she was telling me that. And I knew in that moment that she wasn't telling me that because she thought I was lying, but that she was telling me that because she knew I, she knew exactly what I saw and she believed me. Um, three weeks later, I'm in finals. I get a phone call, actually not a phone call because again, this is the nineties. I get a page on my beeper to call home because I was out babysitting and uh, my family told me that my grandmother had days to live. Um, I flew home and she passed away Christmas Eve. That wasn't the, the first, that wasn't the last time that's happened. So visions and dreams have been a part of my story for, um, for a long time and a part of my experience. I've also had, I call them instinctual skills that, um, weren't taught to me, but I discovered them through my own practice that worked for me. And now what I realized was that these things are being channeled and I was divining on them, but I didn't have the language for what they were. Um, actually, I was going to grab it before this podcast, but I didn't have time to grab it. But I remember sometime, I, I've been keeping a journal since I was 12 years old. And in one of my journals around my sophomore because mm -mm, I remember where I was when I when I was writing. It was my junior year in high school. I went to a private school that was really, really, really expensive. Um, and I received financial aid, but there was a balance on the books or whatever it was, and, and I wasn't able to return. I was being told I couldn't return for the upcoming fall semester. And I remember feeling this intense calm. And if you know anything about me now or how I was as a child, I was a very anxious person, so calm was never, never the, um, the, the consistent feeling for me. But I remember feeling this intense calm over my body as I'm journaling and I wrote in that journal, I just knew that it was going to work out. I said, I don't know how, but I, every single time that I write, everything that I write always comes to, comes to pass. It comes to be true. So I'm writing right now that I'm very clear and it's been clearly told to me that this tuition situation is gonna work out and it's gonna be fine. I just read this recently Oh, I wish I could go find it right now. I have like a whole row of my journal, so I can't remember which one this was written in. But I wrote a few days later, 
that the school had received donations or whatever the case was. And so they were giving a gift to my family that was in the exact amount of my of the balance that was owed. And it, it magically took care of myself, of itself. So again, my journey, and so I've used that tool going forward about the things that I write, I'm able to manifest through my writing and it's always been. I've also been instinctively um, led on, on, on certain healing modalities and other certain tools. Um, I had the unfortunate circumstance that a really close friend of mine, a roommate, um, had a traumatic situation and was in the hospital. And um, at the time, I didn't know what their what their status was. But I remember being called to the hospital. And um, before I left, something told me to make an oil. I had never made oils before in my entire life. I was not one that used oils in my in my own practice. And I was around 22, 23 at the time. Um, and I hadn't seen that wasn't because my family wasn't wasn't Pentecostal or, or Baptist, that whole anointing oil wasn't part of, of what I if in, in the tradition that I was raised in, but something told me to go in the kitchen and make this oil. And so I got out flowers and herbs and, and olive oil, and I made an oil that I brought with me to the hospital. And it was told to me that I should anoint her feet with this. Long story short, I didn't because I was afraid. I was afraid because when I got there, I found out that she was brain dead and I was afraid of seeing her in that state. And I was afraid of, of honestly the power in, in, the, in the message that was given to me and I didn't know how to handle that. So I didn't, but I, but I carried that oil with me and I sat in the ICU um, with her waiting room with her family praying for, for, I don't remember, 24 hours, however long it went. But that instinctual knowledge was there and it came to me clearly how I was supposed to, um, that I could use herbs and I could use oils to to heal and maybe not even just to heal the person that I was there to but to heal um to heal myself and to aid I shouldn't say to heal but to aid in this healing journey um another way I got two more way to go so don't three more ways to go about how I knew I was hoodoo before I even had the word for it but it really centers around my belief about God um I remember when I first started taking Spanish in, in middle school, how I was so confused around why the term for God was plural. Why was that plural if God is supposedly singular in this Abrahamic religion? And why is there a commandment in the, in the Christian Bible to not have any other gods before me? Isn't that acknowledging the presence of other gods? And... I wasn't so much that I was confused. I felt that there was an answer, but I just didn't have access to it. And I had the opportunity to to participate. And I've told the story thousands of times before, but I've had the part, the um, opportunity to be in an Afrocentric, African-centered um, young girls development group, for lack of a better word. And it was an initiation process that we, there were different levels to being an initiate. And when you turn the year of your 12th birthday or the beginning of your menses, you began a year long ceremony to, to initiate into womanhood. And it was, a, it was a formal process and a formal experience. And one of the things that it culminated in classes and things that you have to do to, to, for personal development, different tasks that you had to do over the year. And one of the things that it culminated in before your, our initiation ceremony was a, um, a camping trip. And I don't wanna go into details because what we did was very sacred. But I remember there was a moment when we were all standing in, in the forest and in the circle of the initiates, our big sisters and the mamas of the group. And I, I don't remember the exact question, but it was around what do we believe about God or somehow God came up. And I remember being afraid, but being very clear when I answered the question and I said, I believe that God is just our cultural expression of, of the divine and how we explain nature. And that was just felt so true to me that, that this really, that, that what we call God is really 
our expression or understanding of nature. And that while there might be a divine creator, the divine creator doesn't work in isolation, but there's this natural, all the natural forces that come along. And now we, you know, in hoodoo and in African-centered um, practices, I'm sorry, Afro-ancestor-centered um, practices, ancestral, I'm sorry, African traditional religions, African diasporic religions, and not only just, you know, just African traditions, but, um, and that's, and I'm saying that plural because African tradition is not a, is not a monolithic thing, but in almost every um, indigenous and people-centered belief system in the world, there's a, there's a fundamental role of nature and understanding of nature in its natural forces. So that was that was always true for me until this day. And even then, I've always felt the most peaceful in three places. Being in the middle of um, a thunderstorm is like my favorite thing in the whole world. It brings me calm. It brings me peace. Being on the water, not in the water, but on the water is extremely healing for me or being near the water. And then um, being surrounded by trees. That's my happy place. Those are the places that center me, that ground me, that literally speak to me and that make sense. Um, and then I'm gonna stop at this last one because I've been talking for a while now and I really can't wait to hear your, your connections. How do you feel connected to my story? That's my question for you right now. How does this, um, this correspond or remind you of ways that you've been hoodoo, whether you call it that or not? would seem similar to your own path. The last thing um, for me, the, la the place I'm gonna stop, I should say, not the last thing, is the value and importance of community. Not just community in terms of friends, because that is definitely a strong component, but also in, commun in cultural connection to your community, and then also the community that we have with our elders and our ancestors. I say my first, not my first, my second initiation was into the kitchen. There was something magical in my family about what it meant to be tapped to, to help prepare the holiday meals. That it wasn't something that was just given because you were old enough or your particular gender, but it was an invitation that had to happen in order for you to go into the kitchen. And I remember when I was 14, um, being asked to take my mother's place in the kitchen and being able to witness the magic of what happened, not just in the preparing of the meal, because anybody can open up a recipe book and prepare a meal, but I was being shown the ways. And it's hard to articulate and explain and put in, in words what that means unless you are one of us and you know what it means to be invited into the kitchen and, and the magic that goes on in the kitchen. I remember just on a, on a silly superficial level was the first time I realized that my grandmother put oysters in her, in her dressing. I love my grandmother's dressing. Like my grandmother's dressing is like, there's nobody else that could quite make it the way that she did. And I didn't, I remember asking, I'm like, you put oysters? Like, Ew, that's what I thought. And I didn't and I saw and I learned that the ties to our to our family and why we put oysters in in our dressing. And I learned about making chow chow and I learned about those things and and they were passed to me about how to do that. And I grew up in my other grandmother's kitchen. Um, when all my cousins and my siblings would go out and play, she would be in the kitchen preparing meals and I learned the secrets and the ways that we cook. And not just cooking and how do we make this delicious meal, but how do we how do we feed our families and, and nurture our families through food? How do we heal and show our love and our community and our um, our passion for our people through food? How do we choose the right herbs that have these different properties and tastes and and uses? And how do we use that in our food? And um, that's such an important element of hoodoo and our use of herbs in all kinds of ways. And, and the kitchen was has always been um, an important symbol and place for lots of historical reasons as well for us in the African-American tradition of hoodoo because it is an African-American tradition solely. Um, and not just the food, but around what does it mean to sit at the feet of your elders 
and to learn from them and to see their nuances and to, and to literally feel their magic and to be gifted with the, the information from our lineage that's passed down from person to person, that's encapsulated in our DNA and it's literally taught to us. There's so many other ways that hoodoo is how I've always been even before I started, I began calling myself that. And even before I felt confident in what I knew and trusted what I knew. But going back and listening to my own podcast, journaling about my own winks, learning more about hoodoo in a formal way, I've been able to connect the dots about how this is who I've always been. And I venture to say that if you are African-American, um, if you are from this particular place in the world and are the descendants of people who were human trafficked, that you are hoodoo too. That's what I have for y'all. I saw that I have a few new folks that are joining. So I encourage you to, um, to drop your... To go back, I'm sorry, I encourage you to go back and listen to the beginning once this once this drops. I'm going to go ahead and also the audio will become available in my podcast. But before I completely wrap up, I would love to hear what questions, what questions, what questions you have for me. And while you're generating your questions, I want to share with you all that I am open back again for services and you are welcome and invited and encouraged to um, schedule a spiritual reading with me. In these readings, I use my, my spirit-given, ancestor-shaped and refined um, skills around divination to to help you answer the answer the questions that you have, but also reveal to you the places that might need healing and also help you to figure out what your rituals and tools and process needs to be on your own journey. And um, I invite you to do that. I'll drop the link in the comments and you can of course always find it um, in my, in my, on my website, www.aliamcdaniel.com. But um, I, I really invite you to do that and I can't wait to see some of you I sign up for spiritual readings. One way that you can also understand the difference between my services that in my spiritual readings, I give you, I'm gonna help you develop a plan for the next 30 days. It's based on whatever messages that your ancestors are revealing. Um, when I talk about my spiritual coaching, the difference between that and in a reading is that with that my spiritual coaching begins with a reading because that's super important. But then we also talk around um, other aspects of your life that might be causing some challenges or some blocks. And we operationalize that into a 90 day plan for you. So this is someone that's like, okay, I already kind of, I, I, need, a, I need a full plan versus something that's more introductory. And I do that through, I merge my skills of divining and then also life coaching. And then if you're not sure which one is for you, I invite you to go um, sign up for a discovery call. That's a complimentary 30, set, 30 minute session. You will not get advice about how to move forward, but we'll help pinpoint what direction might be the best way for you to move forward. So you can find all of those things um, in on my website. So now I see there's some questions. Now that I can see all the comments. I, I see, I'm gonna go backwards um, here to see what questions you have. So someone says, what does formal study of hoodoo look like? I think that there are different ways to study hoodoo um, and to learn and to be immersed in hoodoo. I think the most important way, the most, oh my gosh, I can I could talk about this forever, but I'm gonna give some just like quick um, responses to, the, to some bullet points responses. I think one of the most important ways that you can formally learn besides learning from your ORI is learning from your community and from your elders. And that means we, sometimes it's difficult for us to process learning in that way because especially for those of us that are highly educated or that have been through formal schooling, we're used to learning looking like, here's a syllabus, here's a scope and sequence, here are the resources, these are the intended outcomes, this is what you're going to learn on the other side and this is how you're going to be assessed on it, right? But that's not what healing, that's not what learning looks like in, in hoodoo. We don't go in with an agenda. 
we go in and we listen and we learn from our elders and we we gain and glean messages not even from what they're what they're formally telling you or they're directly telling you but you're watching and you're learning from the way that they move and because oftentimes what they're teaching you is exactly what you need to know even when you don't realize it even if they may not be saying this is how you do xyz they're showing you in the way that they conduct their lives they're showing you by inviting you into intimate spaces with them and that's such an important 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 way for us to learn many people don't have access to elders in that kind of way and so some advice that's been given to me is seek out elders in your community um, whether it be virtual or in person seek to learn from them um, tap into your ancestors from that have gone on before you and ask them to reveal things go back and journal about the memories that you have and what you realize about how big mama and papa how they did things and how auntie so-and-so did things and then the way that I offer um, education on hoodoo is more from a historical perspective. So I, you know, I'm, I'm a learner, I'm a researcher, and one thing is, if I don't know something, I'm going to try to do my homework to try to understand just the um, the linear knowledge of it or the book knowledge of it. That is not. I want to be clear that that does not trump. Are, is, are, is even necessary in your learning of hoodoo, but it is something that is an important framework for me. So I teach that in my hoodoo history class that you can also find on my website. I have not announced any dates for it yet, but they will be coming before the, um, before the end of this calendar year. So I hope that answered your question, Vani, about what does formal study of hoodoo look like? Um, Oh, Tiffany brings up a good point about another way that we can we can learn and, and understand hoodoo in our particular families and also in our culture is that hoodoo often is what was being taught to us a so-called old wives tale or that's just what the old folks did. And it was very easy for us to distance ourselves from that because we saw that as representative of literally being back on the plantation or being back in the backwoods. And so, um, we, we've distanced ourselves from those old wives' tales in favor of things that were more European or Eurocentric, in favor of things that were more proper. But thinking around the, the, the old, wives tales, old wives' tales that our families told, that's going to point to a lot of the ways that you are a practitioner even when you didn't know it. And notice that it's called wives' tales. I talk about that in my Hoodoo History class too. Um, another commenter reads, um, whoo, that they can see the hoodoo in themselves from the early age and being really aware of their responsibility and their lineage and possession. Like y'all, we, we, we grew up, a lot of us grew up in a tradition of catching the Holy Ghost and that was always okay, but we don't understand the Holy Ghost is really talking about spirit possession. And guess where that come from? It comes from our ancestral ties and lines. And so if you if you experience catching the Holy Ghost and you watch people catch the Holy Ghost, you've been practicing, boo, even if you didn't even know it. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you for elevating that. I see um, a really important question. Oh, I'm going to spend time with this question because this has touched so many of us and i want to talk i want to talk about this because this is necessary how do you reconnect spiritually after being burned by your community Ooh. I, in my head right now y'all i got a whole like pentecostal drum beat going on right now i didn't even grow up in the kojic church but i can hear it right now i feel like a, a praise needs to come on with that question because it is such a necessary question and it's one that i think that's being glossed over I probably should do a whole episode on this, and I probably have before, but because I think this question is so, so important, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak on it about how do you reconnect spiritually. So the first thing, ooh, I'm just getting a whole, a whole message. I just got a whole bullet point that just came through because I wasn't prepared for that question, but, um, but I, I, have, I think I have a clear answer because it's not my answer. The first thing that you need to do before you can even think about connecting spiritually is that you have to understand what happened when you were burned by the community. That's an important first step because so many of us, when we've been burned, 
not just by, you know, randos, but by people that we are intimate with. And being in spiritual community with people is intimacy. So many of us um, tell ourselves stories about what, what that meant about us and what that meant about other people. One of the things that we tell ourselves about other people is that, um, see, this is why you can't trust man. This is why you can't trust religion. This is why you can't trust fill in the bank, blank. And we, we, we cast this very large net over what it must mean about, um, about an institution or an organization instead of seeing it through the lens of human frailty. And I say this even for those people that, you know, cast negativity wide scale on the Christian church. I'm not Christian. I have no desire to be Christian. And I think Christianity is dangerous in a lot of ways. However, comma, I have to be very clear around what that comes from and what my narrative is about of that and where that comes from and where my narrative comes from. And so often I'm going to talk about hoodoo in particular because that's, I don't need to talk about the Christian church. It's not, that's not my ministry. That's not my reference point. It's, it's neither near nor there. There are a lot of great qualified people that can talk about that. And that ain't me. I'm qualified, but I'm not interested. There you go. Not interested. And so often one thing that's really hurt me personally is when I went through a whole ass cult situation. Um, and I've been burned twice by spiritual leaders. And what's hurt me just outside of myself is seeing how that experience has led people to feel like this is why I this is why I can't be in these spiritual communities. This is why I can't trust hoodoo because these people have done X, Y, Z. One thing that um, my therapist, I'm sharing with you what she taught me because I don't want to pretend like I just knew this automatically, nor do I want to pretend like, you know, I was fine after and I just went on with my life. No, it was extremely traumatic for me. And I went to therapy and I used my tools and resources to, to, to deal with that situation. But one thing my, my therapist taught me that helps me stay grounded in separating the people from the institution is about what narcissism is and what abuse looks like. And one thing, and she taught me that by that there are people that are just fundamentally narcissists and abusive period full stop port blank period and when you look at the statistics around what percentage of people and i don't know those statistics but statistically let's just say i'm just gonna make it let's just say there's one percent of society and i could be very wrong if anybody knows that answer write it down in the comments let's just say one percent of people are narcissists and are abusers and are cult leaders Statistically, because of the number of people that we come across in life, especially in a collapsed time frame and the collapsed space through virtue of social media, you are bound to come across these people. You coming across these people is not due to your own failure in some kind of way. You have done nothing to attract narcissists. And so that's one thing that really pisses me off, especially in these fake new age um, law of attraction circles that tell you that everybody that you come across, you've attracted. That's bullshit. You didn't deserve this. You didn't attract it. And it is not your fault that they preyed upon you. I want to be very clear about that. Statistically, you're going to come across these people. And these people are very adept at being, at scamming you. It's what they do. They know how to, they're not picking up always on your frailties or on your vulnerabilities. Yes, they are doing that. But the other thing that she taught me, because I felt some kind of way about being seen as broken or as frail or vulnerable. And a lot of us have a, that, that's triggering for us about, am I weak? Is that why they picked up on me? Is that why they abused me? And she, she positioned it in a different way. McKee, if you're watching this, hey girl, hey. Um, she positioned it in a different way and I've learned this in a different way that it's, and the other thing that those people are watching for are what they can gain from you. They're looking for people who are talented. They're looking for people who are smart. They're looking for people who are gifted. They're looking for people that have credibility and they're looking for people that have um, that have. I just lost the last word, but they have, they're looking for those people because one, they don't have those things for themselves. Two, they need those things to be able to um, have credibility in the community, to fill in the gaps of the things that they don't need. And they need that. They literally need your energy because they ain't shit without you. They need your ashe. They need your light. They need all of those things to fill themselves. And the third thing that I've learned about these kinds of people is that they don't treat 
every single member in the organization the same way. They compartmentalize people and use them for different things. That's why it's easy for people who are the loved ones or the beloved ones to not believe that abuse is going on because they're not on the receiving end of it in the way that they understand it. That's why people who are being abused don't speak up because they see, well, so-and-so, so-and-so is not being treated this way, so it must be something about me. This is how they, they, they manipulate the community. And so it's important for us to understand how they operate so that we don't personalize that this is something that's a flaw in us. And that comes to the second part is, in, in, is to understand your own proximity and story and your proximity to this and your narrative about your role in this and to rewrite that, that role, um, that narrative that you had about yourself. Instead of saying, I am weak, vulnerable, naive, a target, whatever that we've been telling ourselves because we hold shame and we hold guilt because of those experiences. And we allow that to shrink. Mm -mm, I don't say we allow that. And it shrinks us. I encourage you to rewrite that about yourself. Instead, ask yourself, what was it about me that that person was looking to gain? What did I already have and what did I already possess so that um, that was attractive? <clears throat> because what we can't do is to minimize and destroy those parts of ourselves because we're instead highlighting what we see as our flaws. There's nothing wrong with you being trusting. There's nothing wrong with you being <clears throat> vulnerable. And I hope that we are all naive in the extent that we have a beginner's mind at times. I'm not crying, y'all. I just need some water. But I also ask us to focus on all of the things that this person was trying to steal because it's going to be the clue to actually what your, what your superpowers are. And as you start to identify that, look for ways to cultivate that in yourself and look for ways to elevate yourself because of that because you don't have those things by accident. And then so the second part is now you understand why people prey on others and you understand why what this person was trying to seek from you and what that actually is a mirror about how dope and bomb as shit you are. The other question becomes, so how do you how do you learn to trust this community? I am not in a belief around God puts more on you. Don't put more on you than you can bear. That's some bullshit that white folks have taught us to sustain and endure harm, abuse, torture. I don't believe in that shit. I don't believe that suffering is noble. I don't think that you get a grand prize at the end of the day because you didn't put up and endured. That's that Christian bullshit that's harmful and divisive. So I don't believe that God gives you these experiences to teach you something. What I do believe, <clears throat> however, comma, is that in spite of anything that you go through that might be challenging, and oftentimes, I would almost venture all the time, the evil shit that we experience is because of fucked up ass humans. It ain't got nothing to do with some Abrahamic devil sitting on our shoulder making people do shit. Some people are just fucked up and they cause fucked up shit to happen. They cause climate issues. They cause famine. They cause Haiti to be going through what they're going through. That ain't nothing supernatural. That's because of fucked up ass humans. But because we are so bomb and so gifted and we got that ashe, we can always find a nugget in it that we can use to learn from, to inform the way that we move, to be more discerning, to be more whatever. We are such magical people, and it's about the question of how can you use that experience? What can you glean from that experience to serve you? And one thing that I've gleaned from this experience, and I'm going to share mine, and I think this is going to resonate with many people, is that I learned to trust my Ori. I talked about this a few episodes ago. And what I mean by that is that I, um, when I walked in that situation with that person, I always felt this gut feeling that something's not right, but there was an end goal that I wanted. I wanted, I felt like I needed to learn formally. I felt like I needed training from this person. And I'm, I'm going to be clear. I do need training. I do need education. I do need these things, but I, I felt like what I had wasn't enough already. And I felt this spidey sense about something not being right. 
And so I did what my Virgo self did. I investigated and researched to the ends of the world. I looked for receipts. I looked for everything. I couldn't find anything to, to substantiate this feeling that I was having. Fast forward a year later, what I now know is that my RE was enough. That was all the receipts that I needed. I, my RE was enough. It was teaching me and leading me enough. And when, I, when I'm honest with myself, when I go into communities and when I meet people, my RE tells me everything that I already need to know. So the question, that takes me back full circle to the question of how do you learn how to trust the, the community again after you've been burned? By trusting yourself. By trusting yourself. Because once you trust yourself and you learn to trust your ORI, it's going to tell you everything you need to know about who you can trust and where you need to build community and who you can have connection and, intimate, and spiritual intimacy with. Start practicing that. And, and for many of us, that's a big ask to start practicing that. And so what I encourage you to do is to start practicing on a small scale. Start trusting yourself even when it comes down to, should I be eating that right now? What do I need to put on today? What kind of music? What road do I take down the street? What, start trusting yourself in, in, in the small things and it will build to trusting yourself in the big things. And then one of my favorite things to do is to keep receipts of how when you trusted your ORI, what it led to. And when you do that, you start to, um, you start to build your own confidence around that. So that was a long ass answer, but I wanted to, to take the time to explain that because even though I addressed this on previous episodes in, in snippets, I think it was very timely. So thank you, Tony, for trusting your ORI and trusting your spirit team for asking that question out loud. But I want to show and prove to y'all that you already are enough, period. Oh, thank you, Tiffany. Tiffany says, deja vu right now. You're doing good work at this moment. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for, for affirming that for me. And I forgot to say this earlier. Um, a service I do want to offer, if anybody ever um, is, is hearing impaired and needs a, um, a written transcript of my podcast or my live videos, please send an email to info at aliyahmcdaniel.com and I'll be happy to provide you um, a copy of the transcript at, um, I'll be happy to provide you a copy of the transcript. But I really would appreciate y'all, if this has been helpful for you, please, please, please subscribe and leave a review on all streaming platforms and on my Facebook business page, that's facebook.com slash, hey, Mrs. McDaniel, hey, with three Y's, share this with people. Come back for next time. And y'all have given me so much life with showing up live doing this podcast. Y'all have affirmed for me that this is the way to go. Thank y'all. Y'all have been amazing and much love.